while you find Titus chapter number two, we're gonna <clears throat> we're gonna do the next part of our series. The kingdom is family. The kingdom is family. And while you're looking for Titus two, if you will remember from last week. When we're talking about the kingdom being family, we're talking about more than just an affection for one another. We're talking more than just a relationship with one another or the ties that bind us together. But what we're covering in word in this part of the series, Kingdom Is, is we're covering the scripture that tells us how each uh, section of the family of God is to behave the responsibilities that we have in whatever era of our life we're in, whether it's young or old, whether it's men or women, there are things that God expects of us in our conduct, but then there are also things that God expects of us as far as how we treat each other, okay? Um, so I'm going to read this section real quick before we dig into Titus 2, and it's kind of the overview. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, and, and you don't have to turn there, uh, says to rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. That means we're supposed to come to the elder men as fathers to give them that respect and that honor. It says to treat the younger men as brethren. And that's why we call each other brothers and we are supposed to treat each other like brothers. Uh, it says that we are to treat the elder women as mothers. This is a, something that used to be common in the church world is there would be women in the church families that were called and treated as church mothers. So we're to treat the elder women as mothers, give them that honor, the younger women as sisters with all purity, and we are to honor widows that are widows indeed. So then, we covered last week in our first lesson uh, how the elder or aged men are to behave. That was quite a load. For some reason, I thought last week I was going to be able to cover the elder men and the elder women. I had no idea what I was thinking because there's quite a lot that's expected of us as aged men. Now that phrase aged men, it doesn't mean 70 and 80 year olds only. It does include them, but it also includes men that are Travis, Jimmy, and my age. It includes us, too, because we are aged. We have a little seasoning in us. We've gotten to the place in life where we are stable as far as our responsibilities with our families and our financial responsibilities and our responsibilities in the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be aged. It means that we are seasoned. So we covered all that last week, and I don't want to take the time to, to uh, go over any of that again because now we're going to cover the aged and seasoned women, which according to the scripture is every one of the women that are here tonight. It's Kitty, it's Stacy, and it is Lori. Now, uh, uh, Travis didn't have much warning, but he's got a quick exit, so he's all right. But Jimmy, he sat in the corner, and that's on him. I warned him last week what we were going to be talking about. You're right in the middle of two of them, and you got a third one on the outside for backup, Jimmy. So be careful which part of this you amen or laugh about, my brother. That's all I can do for you tonight. But Titus chapter 2 and verse number 3. Now this is a really cool section of scripture. I want to say before I get started that we are not required to give honor to somebody simply because they have a title in the church. If they don't behave in a way that deserves that honor, we don't give it to them. This is, not, uh, this is not a dictatorship. You don't honor whoever the under-shepherd is simply because they're the under-shepherd. They don't get to behave any old way they want to because they have that office. Right. It's quite the opposite. So the higher the office somebody has in the kingdom of God, the more they should love the more they should be willing to give of themselves, the more they ought to be the first ones to live by example and show us how we're supposed to live this life, okay? They need to earn that respect. And I'm here today to tell you something you probably won't hear in a lot of places. If they don't earn that respect, don't give that respect. Now, 
Don't do yourself any damage and, and you know, do anything offensive to them. Uh, what I would do if I was in that situation is if you're ever in a situation where the group of people that you're a part of that serve God, if the elders, quote unquote, and the leaders, quote unquote, and the under shepherd, quote unquote, are not worthy of respect that you should give them, leave. Don't stay there. Don't stay somewhere where you have to respect somebody who doesn't deserve it, okay? That's not the will of God. It's not the Bible. It's not how God set things up. You're, stay somewhere where you can respect the people that are trying to help you in your walk with God. And if you can't, get out of there, man, right? Just get out of there. It's that simple. But never give respect where it's not earned, ever. God does not expect you to do that. David and Saul. When Saul was chasing David and trying to kill him and all David has ever done was respect Saul and try to further his kingdom and fight for him and win battles for him and further his ministry, so to speak. And Saul was treating him unjustly. Now David, he did. He ran from him. He didn't stay there and let Saul treat him any old way he wanted to. I mean, twice getting a javelin thrown at his head. And David said, I'm not sticking around. He might have a better aim on a third time. I'm out of here, right? There came a time where David left. And he said, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. But even so, there were opportunities when David had a chance to kill Saul and David could have been king immediately. All the people would have said, David, I don't blame you. You did the right thing. Saul was behaving in an ungodly manner. I don't blame you a bit and I'm on your side. And even though all that was true by popular opinion, David said, I'm not going to harm God's anointed. You know what that meant was not that David couldn't say something that was true about God's anointed, even though it made God's anointed look bad. What it meant was David said, I'm not going to kill him with my hands. Even though he's not acting like it, he was still put in that office by yeah, God. Yeah. It's not my yeah, fault right. or God's fault that he's not behaving with honor in that office. So I'm just going to stay away from him so he don't kill me and I'll let God take care of him. That's the way you do things, right? Don't sit around and put up with that behavior. They don't have a right to treat you some kind of bad way because they have an office in the kingdom. It's supposed to be the opposite of that, okay? So there is behaviors, though, that's required of us in order to earn that kind of respect. And, and we're going we're gonna to go over some of that tonight. Titus chapter number 2, verse number 3, covers the aged women, the seasoned women. Now, he just finished talking about the aged men. So now he says the aged women likewise. He's telling the preacher, this is what you teach them. Teach aged women that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Now this is super cool. This word holiness, simplest definition of holiness that there is, and believe it or not, it, it, it's actually the definition. Who would ever thought of doing it that way, right? The, the definition of holiness is reverent. And what that means is a deep, solemn respect, right? So what it's saying is, is that the aged women, the seasoned women, live their life, behave in such a way that it shows a deep, solemn respect. A deep, solemn respect for what? Well, first of all, for God, right? So their behavior, whether it's at work or whether it's among their family, whether it's at a picnic like Monday or whether it's in the house of God or at a yard sale, ought to be in such a way that they have a deep reverent respect for the things of God. That, that the level of respect they have when they're in a church service isn't any higher than it is when they're at a yard sale. Right. That, that they don't treat the things of God like offhandedly or even joke about them or Treat them like they don't amount that much all the rest of the week. But then on Sunday, all of a sudden, the things of God are super important, right? It, they just need to be consistent. Consistency. This deep, solemn respect. Uh, that's what reverent means. So here's the cool thing. This is something that I, I get in trouble about quite often. And I'm sure I will the rest of my born days. Is that when they hand out a preaching license in a lot of organizations... The, they will say on there, the Reverend Arliss Rapier Jr. And they're calling me Reverend because I'm a member of their licensing organization, right? But what that infers is, is that all the preachers in the world are reverent, that all the preachers in the world have a deep, solemn respect of the things of God. 
We know that ain't true, okay? Reverend isn't something that you're given as a title. It's something that you live. It's a reverent. It means we have respect. That's all it means. And a preacher cannot be called reverend respecting the things of God if he doesn't respect the people of God. Because the most important thing to the God of the people is the people of God. There isn't anything in this world or in the kingdom that God loves more than He loves you, 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 and you. And if a preacher ever forgets that and treats you like you're less than anything, the preacher ain't reverend because he's not treating you, treating you with a deep respect and honor. And that's what this holiness means. So it means the seasoned women, the ones that have been around a little while, the ones that, that realize, you know what? I need God in my life. That's what it means. The seasoned women that say, you know what? I need God in my family. I need God in my marriage. I need a relationship with God. I need a church life. I need brothers and sisters around me that make me stronger, that keep me pointed in the right direction and encourage me in my walk with God. That's what it means to be aged in the kingdom of God. You've settled those things and you're after it, right? That's what it means. So the seasoned women behave in such a way that it shows a deep, solemn respect for the things of God and not false accusers. Now, this one shocked me because I, I go over stuff one time, two times, 12 times, 13 times, right? And because I've learned over the years not to take for granted it just because something sounds simple that you automatically know exactly everything that it means, right? Now, not false accusers. Now, here's a simple illustration of being a false accuser. Somebody comes to me and tells me something about brother so-and-so. I don't know this about brother so-and-so, but I take what they told me to be the truth. Guess what I've done? I have falsely accused them to myself because I've accepted this thing this guy said about this other guy that I don't know. So I falsely accused that guy to myself and I don't even know that to be true. See, if you don't know something to be true, it can very well be false, right? And if you don't know for yourself that this thing is a true fact, you cannot accept it as a true fact just because somebody you love said so, just because a friend of yours that you're really tight with said so about this person they don't like or has been rude to them, that doesn't mean that you accept what they tell you as a truth about that other person if you don't know it yourself to be true, right? So we're not to be false accusers. Here's the thing. If we're ever going to accuse somebody of something, that needs to be a serious thing anyway. I mean, honestly, how often should we be accusing anybody of something? Not very often. That ought to be once in a blue moon thing. And it can, should only be when somebody has done something that's just wrong, wrong, wrong. Where somebody wrongs a brother or a sister in the church or wrongs a family member, right? Or wrongs you. Then we have the right to accuse them because we have the evidence that proves it's a fact that they have done something wrong. That is a righteous accusation. You see the difference? Yeah. But an accusation someone else makes about them to me that I don't know to be true... I cannot accept that as a truth if I don't know it to be true. So it says that aged women and men, I might add, we need to be the same way, should not be false accusers. Now, you're going to be blown away by this. And I want every one of you to verify that I'm telling you the truth about this. Because when I look this up today, it's like, why would you look up false accusers? Here's why. You ain't going to believe this. This false accusers, two words, in its original language is only one word. And this one word is diablos. You know who the Diablos is? Yeah, <laughs> so this verse reads, aged women should not be the devil. Now it's aged men too. I just told her today, I freaked out. I said, whoa, you ain't gonna believe what I did, Bob. Two words, false accuser. And think about this. Now this ain't just for women, this is everybody. None of us should be false accusers. But we just happen to be on the aged women right now, right? These two words, false accuser, is from one word in the original text, Diablos, right? Now, what does the word call the devil? The accuser of the, of the brethren. Not just the men, but the women too, right? So it's the devil's job to bring accusations against the people of God. So you know whose job we're doing when we say something negative about somebody in the kingdom? The devil's. Who's? The devil's. The devil's. 
That's a devil's job. I gotta say he's got a lot of co-workers in today's age, right? But I don't wanna be the devil's co-worker. I got nothing to say about nobody that I don't know to be true. And even if I do know it to be true, if it doesn't affect you, I got no business to tell you. I got no reason to tell you. If it if there's no danger of this accusation against somebody that I know to be a fact, not even false, that I know personally is true, if there's no way that that's gonna affect you or damage you or endanger you, I got no reason in casual conversation to tell you, man, hey, you know what? You ain't gonna believe what dude did one time. I mean, it was bad. And it might be 20 years ago. It may never affect him. No, I'm telling him something true, but whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are good report, that's none of that. And that's not my job to make this man look bad in his eyes. You know whose job that is? That's the devil's job, Diablos. Right? Yeah, it's not our job. That blew me away. Verify it on the interlinear when you guys get a chance. I mean, that's some pretty serious stuff. We're not to be false accusers. Somebody's already got that job and he's really good at it, right? Okay, not given to much wine. Now, here's my policy. When people talk to me, you know, like Paul said, to, there's this big argument about it's unfermented, fermented, you know, about the wine. For, but I really don't care. There's this big argument about a communion. There's some people, I, I ain't kidding you. This one guy, when we had just moved down here, this mountain church in, in, in Bloomingdale, is that it? That's what that's called over there, Bloomingdale, right? That area over there. Is that Bloomingdale off of John B. Dennis? Yeah. Bloomingdale. This guy in this mountain church uh, invited me over there to preach revival, and after the third night, he asked me to take the church. I was like, what? <laughs> hey, you want the church? Uh, no. <laughs> then he goes, well, there's a few questions I had to ask you anyway. He goes, like, when you do communion, do you do it with wine or juice? I was like, out of all the things you would ask me, considering me to be the pastor, you want to know how I do communion? How about if I'm a jerk? How about if that's my wife or my girlfriend? How about some important stuff? You don't know how I do communion? I've never heard of such a thing. Well, then I learned the hard way that there are people that they take communion with wine, and if you don't, they don't even fellowship you. Then there are people that take communion with juice, and if you do with wine, they don't fellowship you. So we got the first church of communion with wine only, and we got the first church of communion with grape juice only, and none of them like each other. Now, here's my opinion on it. The reason that I use juice and reason I don't partake of any kind of fermented anything and the reason that I counsel everybody that ever pays any attention or will listen to me about anything to leave anything fermented alone is because that leads to a whole lot of other places. It doesn't matter if you do this much or that much. And here's the other thing. A lot of the people that we will help and a lot of the people in our church family right now, me first, was an alcoholic back down that road, man. Amen. I'm talking about, I'd get up in the morning, dude. I wouldn't even be rolled out of bed. I'd reach on the headboard of the waterbed. <laughs> Does that tell you how long ago that was? <laughs> I'd reach on the headboard of that waterbed, and I'd find that joint. I'd pull that thing around, reach for my lighter, light that up, and I'd reach over the side of the bed because I knew there was a bottle down there that I hadn't finished from last night, and I needed some hair of the dog. So before I got out of the bathroom, out of the bathroom, before I got out of the bed to go to the bathroom, I already had a joint in my mouth and it had some hair of the dog and that ran my day and you can ask Kitty she watched me I'd get up in the morning and start on a case of Budweiser and by that when it was dark 24 of them Budweiser's all right here baby and I might not have ate that day I might not have done anything productive that day but I drank my case of Budweiser and I did it every day for a very long time so how in the world am I going to call myself honoring God by sharing some something fermented with everybody else or partaking of it myself. To me, that's like a spit in the face of the God that one day reached yeah. down. And I'm telling you, you don't just, you might think you quit alcohol on your own. You might think you did. You might think you just made a, a decision one day and just stopped like that. Well, I can agree with you that you might have stopped like that, but I'm telling you who it was that gave you the power to walk away from that thing. And the reason I know that is because there is a devil very intent on destroying yeah. your life and there is no way he would have stood by and said just walk away
away from that, Jimmy. I'm okay with that. Right, There's no right. way he would have said to Arliss, just walk away from that, Arliss. I'm okay with you straightening out in your life. Oh, no. He'd have had me take a nosedive back in that bottle and in that alcohol. So my policy is, no. We don't, and we won't. Amen. Now, I'm not going to be in the service of some first-time visitor trying to straighten their life out or somebody's just come to God, and that alcohol cost them their driver's license, their first marriage, cost them their children. They don't get to see him anymore, cost him jail time, and then I'm going to be the one to give them a fermented drink for the first time when they no, sir, no, ma'am. Now, I don't care about the first church of wine only. They ain't got to fellowship me. I'm trying to help somebody. You understand where I'm coming from? So this thing, it says not giving to much wine. Around here, I would suggest not being given to any. Just don't be given to any of it. Hey, Stop and think about the wording of that too. Can you think that a little odd, the way he worded it, not given to it? When you open the door to that, if you're not careful, that door will open all the way up and people have given their marriages to it. People have given their children to it and don't have them anymore. People have given their jobs to it and don't have their jobs anymore. I know what I'm talking about. So we don't. We, we just don't. The aged women, the seasoned women, teachers of good things. I love this. I love this. I, I, I am excited and I love the fact that you, you, and you are the first women in this church family. The reason I'm excited that is because you're going to save me a whole lot of work. And the reason you are is because the young women that come into our church are going to learn all kinds of good stuff. And this learning, teaching right here, ain't talking about getting up in the pulpit and teaching the Bible over the pulpit, though that may be included. What it means literally is teaching by example. The seasoned women are to be teachers by example of good things. And you three are. You three are. Verse 4. Look what they're supposed to do. didn't even tell us what they're supposed to teach. So this is cool because the writer kind of does a, gets two birds with one stone right here. I'm trying to think of other ways to say that because I got a lot of birds and I don't want to kill any of them. But he gets two birds with one stone right here because he's talking about the older women teaching the younger women. So then we know automatically that both the older women and the younger women need to have these following traits. That the elder women would teach the young women to be sober. Well, you know, we ain't talking about the wine, but we can just toss that in there. But to be sober just means to be serious about life. That is not running around by their coattails or just like the, you know, dropping a, a, a little cork in the creek and watching it just bang off of this and bang off of that. Uh, they don't have a proactive approach to life. There's no plan that people just react to life and go whichever way it takes them. And what this means is that the seasoned women teach the younger women that when it comes to life, you have a plan and you're serious about it. You're serious about your marriage. You're serious about your home. You're serious about your kids and your grandkids. You're just serious about your life, okay? And that they may teach the young women to love their husbands. How's that done? By example. By example. And that's awesome because, the, look, the younger women that come in here, they're married. Most of them have no previous example on how to treat a husband. And most of the husbands that are going to come in that are married, that are young, will have had no role model ever in their lives of how a husband is really to treat his wife. So they're learning this by the seat of their britches. <laughs> Worse than we had to learn it because some of us at least had somebody that we could think of when we thought about how you're supposed to treat your spouse. We may not have done it very good, but we had some people we could have drew from. But there's a generation now they just don't have that in their life. So when they come in here, they may see for the very first time, they may see the husband prefer his wife the very first time in their life in here. They may see the wife prefer her husband for the very first time in their life by watching us. Isn't that an awesome privilege to be given? And you know what's cool about it? Is we don't even have to wait until they trust us. It's not like we got to become their buddy and then wait for them to trust us enough to listen to us. No, no. Because from the day they come in from the first service, they're watching us already. So the minute they start watching us, they start learning. And all three of our couples in this church family, man, they're going to learn good stuff from all. I'm telling you, I'm excited all the way around. 
We got good teachers left to ride up and down North, South, East, and West in this church family. So they're going to learn by example from the other women how to love their husbands. And then the next one is how, well, I, I got to say this. Perfect example about how they learn from the wives how to love their husband. If there would have been a, a young wife in service for the very first time last Sunday and they were listening to prayer requests, when it got to Lori's turn, and Lori says, and please don't forget my Travis. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I got the grin right. Is it close? Yeah. You don't get my travel. Now, yeah, yeah, the fingers too. <laughs> That's the truth. Now, here's the thing. That young lady would have been like, well, how many Travises are in this church? There's only two other guys here. Were they all Travis? But no, see, that ain't what Lori meant. It wasn't that Lori was trying to single her Travis out because there was others there. In Lori's mind, that's my Travis right there, you see? And so that's what I mean by the young women learning from the older women how to love their husbands. That young woman's going to be like, what is that all about? This Lori, hang around, you'll get the hang of it. We know what that's about. You will too. So then also uh, that they learn from the elder women, the seasoned women, how to love their children. How to love their children. I'm going to tell you a parenting style that I've seen in the last couple months on one of our trips. And it's because this uh, young lady, well, she's, good grief, she's 33. Yeah, young lady. Uh, she didn't have a role model in her life on how to love uh, children, she wasn't loved in a nurturing way either. So every time one of her children would act up and she finally had enough, she would go over to this child and grab him by their shirt and say, I told you to stop that! No, I'm here! Blah, blah, blah. And me and Kitty were sitting there going, Remember? We were in shock. Yeah, we're, it was in Wisconsin. <laughs> but we were in shock by that parenting technique, okay? And the reason we were in shock about that is because we haven't been exposed to that in decades, right? But it was obvious this young lady had never been exposed to this in her entire life. See, they love their children, but they don't know how to show that love for their children, right? They need to learn from somebody. So when they come in our church family, they're going to learn how to show love to their children by the way the elder ladies in the church love their children. You say, well, my kids ain't even here. You know, Kitty might say that, Lori might say that. Well, guess what? When it's prayer request time and you're praying for your kids and you're saying, oh, please remember to pray for my babies, that young woman might think, man, she looks a little old to have some babies. And you're like, oh, they're older than you are. Guess what that teaches them? How, teaches them how to love their children. That that is your baby when it's in diapers, and that is your baby when it's this tall looking down at you, right? It's your baby. And they're going to learn that from you, Mom. Do you see the privilege that is? Man, we can't walk down to the courthouse in Kingsport and say, you know what? I want to talk to all the young men here and straighten them out. We can't go down there and say, I want to talk to all the young moms and wives and give them some advice. This would be a lot better city to live in. No, but you know what we can do? We can love each other the way the Bible teaches us to. And then when those people do come into our services, we get to teach them because they're going to be watching the way we love each other. And that is the loudest lesson you can teach. Yeah. That's right. Amen. I'm telling you right now, God is going to trust us with people to teach because we love the right way. We do. And I'm bragging. <clears throat> so, teachers, good thing by example, love their uh, uh, husbands, love their children, and then to be discreet. Now, this word is sophron, discreet. It means to be safe and to be self controlled. You say, what do you mean safe? Well, I know Lord is safe. She carries a pistol in her purse. I know Stacy's safe. She'll box you upside your head before you know what happened to you. Oh, wow. She'll be like, alley oop, oop. Huh? He'll knuckle you before you can count to four or three or whatever that song said. So that's not the kind of safe that it's talking about. When this says to be discreet and says safe, what that means is, is the, the preacher ain't got to worry that the couple of new sisters that started coming to church are going out to eat. Uh, them and their husbands are going out to eat with Lori and Travis next Sunday. The preacher ain't going home saying, oh, great. I don't know how this is going to go. I wonder if she's going to talk about Sister So-and-so. I wonder what she's going to have to say about the church. I wonder what she's going to have to say about the preacher. Oh, man. I wish she hadn't invited them out to dinner. Do you understand? So it's saying that the seasoned women are to be safe. In other words, a preacher like me, and I will 
When I find out that you're taking some of them out to, out to eat, I'm like, oh, man, I'm glad. That's good. That's going to help them get so much further along in their walk with God by hanging out with Lori and Travis or hanging out with Stacy and Jimmy. Oh, man, that's a good thing to happen. Because the seasoned women and the men are supposed to be safe. You're supposed to be safe for the church and you're supposed to be safe for the new ones that come in. Safe with babies. Huh. That's a lot of responsibility, ain't it? It really is. So it's supposed to be discreet, which means safe and self-control. That means nobody, you don't have to worry about coming up and talking to Lori and saying something to her about anything. You know, you're not worried. I don't know if you want to say that, dude. I mean, Lori, you know, she might flip out. You want to come talk to Stacy about this. I mean, you don't want to say nothing to her. You got to be careful around her because you just never know. No, that ain't going to fly. Now, that's in all of us a little, right? But we're trying to get to be more like him. And when we see those flaws each one of us has, when we see them come to the surface, we're going to work on them, pray about them, and get better at it, right? So we're never going to be in a place where that's like this permanent thing. You know, Sister So-and-So, she's just got a bad temper. Well, what have you been doing all these years, preacher? She's been going to church there for 10 years. You ain't dealt with it yet? <laughs> so the seasoned women are to be discreet, supposed to be safe. Uh, then they're supposed to be chaste. Now, what this is cool, what this means is, is modest and pure. Now, I say this over the pulpit. I say it in other people's churches. You can ask Kitty when I preach revival, and I say it at home. I don't want to see nobody's stuff. Yeah. I don't care how you dress out there. You can talk about God, don't care what I wear. Well, maybe God don't. You know, that's up to you to believe that. I don't believe it personally, but guess what? and I don't want to see you. Right. I just don't. I ain't being mean. I'm sure you're quite beautiful and your husband thinks you're the beautifulest woman on the planet, but I'm married and I don't want to see your stuff. Right. Exactly. No, it's not gross and that's not over the top. This is the kind of stuff that should be preached the way that I'm preaching and teaching it. And if it hadn't been all these years, it wouldn't even be a problem in any of the churches. But I'm telling you right now, oh, God help me. Well, here we go, Jimmy Ray. There is no such thing. Look, fellas, do not look at anybody for the love of God if this, <laughs> if this applies. Keep in mind that we have a Spotify congregation, and we really do. I, I'm amazed sometimes. I'll get a message from somebody talking about a lesson we just taught. I didn't even know they listened. I don't even know who they are. I'm not even one of their friends. And they send me a message on Messenger. Hey, man. Like, whoa, okay. You know, people are listening to this. So here we go, Spotify church. There is no such thing as skinny clothes. Mm, right. And if there is, for the love of God, don't wear them till you're skinny. <laughs> if your clothes are skinny and you ain't, stay out of them. <laughs> help yourself. Help your husband who's too scared to say something. Help the church and every man that you walk in front of and help other women because they don't like you wearing that stuff that looks like if you sneeze, it's going to explode. It's not godly. God don't like it. Your husband don't like it when you wear it outside the house. See, I'm looking at the table. This is a wise and preacher here. If you ain't skinny, don't wear skinny clothes. Period. That's all right. It's Amen. even quiet in Spotify land, I'll bet. <laughs> this is the truth. Stay out of them until you get skinny. Praise God, I hope you do. If that's what you need to be to be happy, I hope you do, okay? But if you ain't, stay out of them. Uh, stay off the platform. Stay out from in front of people. There's no such thing as skinny clothes. <laughs> Give them to somebody that is skinny. There's a skinny girl running around and ain't got no money to buy no nice clothes. You got $9,000 of clothes that you already know you ain't ever going to wear again. Give them to somebody that needs them and bless them. Now, I'm not being mean. I really ain't being mean. I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm not. But I'm just saying, what I didn't write this. It says the seasoned women are to be chaste, which means modest and pure. It is not modest to wear something you can't bend over in at all. Mm -hmm. And, and modest, pure bending over is at the knees. Yeah. Wow, I didn't plan on saying that. It is true. When you bend over in public, that's why your knees have a hinge. Guess why? 
You don't have to keep them straight like a stork and bend over so your butt is up in the sky like a full moon. Use your knees, be modest, and be pure. I didn't write this. I'm just giving the book report. This is good for all women, young too. And guess how the, it says the young are going to learn it? From the ones that are seasoned. So if the young women come in, hey, you know what they're used to, man. There was a bar down in Stone Drive for a long time called Hog Wild. And that's what people did when they got there. And that's a lot of the people that went there. They got Hog Wild. Okay? So the women we get are going to have a Hog Wild background. But when they come in the church, if they see the seasoned women wearing stuff that looks like it might explode, if they see the seasoned women not knowing how to use their kneecaps when they drop their pen, guess what the young women are going to think? Oh, Man, I'm comfortable here. This is just like out there. No, this is not just like out there. Now, it takes a while to get from out there to in here, and we will walk with you every step of the way. Nobody will talk down to you. Nobody will talk bad to you. They will be kicked out of here before you will be for a rotten attitude, and that is a promise for me. But you will get to this other place. Because if you come in here and this place is like the place you came from, what are you coming here for? Right. They're not coming here to find the same thing they're trying to get out of, right? <laughs> yeah, buddy. So the women are to be modest and pure, and so are the men. Look, man, Elvis Presley ain't ever going to sit in the front row in the church that we have. We ain't having the, the shirt buttoned all the way down because he's got chest hairs. I, I mean, we, it ain't going to happen. We're not going to have it. It's not going to be the same way for fellows. Fellows have a decency to uphold to, too. You know, fellows, there ain't no such thing as men's skinny clothes. Give them up, give them over, and let a skinny dude have them, man. I was skinny in my day. It ain't my day no more, and I don't care. I'm glad to get old enough to not have any skinny clothes anymore. Give them up. Same thing's required of men. Okay, let's move on. Please move on. And it says, the seasoned women are to be keepers at home. Now, so what does that mean? You see, here we are. Now, we're in a different day and age in society. And, and these two are a perfect example. Like uh, Travis and Lori both work full-time jobs. And they both have responsibilities outside the house. So how in the world, then, can this apply to Lori if she works a full-time job just like Travis does? Well, what this means is it's kind of like that ultimately, okay, bottom line, it's just like when God looks at a family that he looks at the man first. Bottom line, he does, okay? Bottom line, when God looks at the things of the home, he looks at the woman first, same way. Now, we do things differently. We're a team. These two shall become one flesh. We are a team. And anybody that's in a good marriage knows their marriage is good because they're a team and we do whatever we got to do to get it done. That there are some things that, okay, you know what? You're better off doing that because I'll blow the whole house up. Then there's other things like, you know what? You're better off doing that because I will burn that yard up and grass will never grow again. So I get all that. But when it comes down to it, we're a team. Yeah. And if there's something in the middle that either one of us can do and it needs to be done and I'm there and you're not, I'm going to do it. I ain't going to stand back and say, well, man, there dishes and guys don't do dishes. Do you want to eat out of this or do you want to use fingers? <laughs> right. It's that simple. It's that simple. But ultimately, God, just like God looks at the man when it comes to the spiritual condition of his house, God looks at the woman when it comes to the physical condition of the house. Now, whatever arrangements are made in there as a team, praise God for it. There should be. The idea... That we have a Captain Caveman mentality. I'm going to tell you what I don't like. I, who cares what I don't like? But I'm going to tell you anyway because I'm the one talking. <laughs> one of the pet peeves I got about men is, is when you go to somebody's house and you can find where dude's been all day. Because you see his footprints at the door. You see his boots right there. You see his socks over here. You see yesterday's britches over here. You see the magazine he didn't read but opened over there. You see the crumbs from the Dorito pack. And it's like... You didn't marry your mother. It don't matter if you worked all day long. Pick up after yourself, dude. It don't hurt. Take the pants off. You still got them. Whoop, whoop. Walk them over to the basket. It ain't complicated. Well, I worked all day. Well, the day ain't over, big boy. Work some more and pick up after yourself. And you know what you'll find out? If you got a problem with the way you... Whoa, where in the world? 
I guess it's Spotify. <laughs> if you got a problem with where how your wife does or does not take care of the house to your liking, you'll be surprised to find out that if she didn't have to do all her clothes and yours too, she might have a little more energy to do some of the other things that you can't figure out why she can't do. If she ain't running around picking up after you all day, she might be able to get to that other stuff that you wonder why she never gets to. Amen. <laughs> I know. Keepers at home. Good. Why wouldn't they be? Why wouldn't a seasoned woman in God be good? Why wouldn't a seasoned woman in her marriage be good? I mean, why wouldn't we be? These are the people of God we're talking about. We're talking about per those who don't say perfect. Right. Those who don't say without flaw. Right? Those who don't say pickle without warts. Right? But it says good. So, I mean, that's like, duh. Why in the world would he have to put this in there? But, well, I'm sure we all got a few reasons we can think of why he would have to put this in there. But we should be good. I mean, really. We ought to be good people somehow or another, right? Okay. Then, uh, here we go. This is another fun one. But I love this one. You know why? Because this one has been slandered, used, and abused. And people have used this to manipulate women. And I love to teach on this because it takes that bullet out of their gun. The seasoned women are to be obedient to their own husbands. Now, there's a phrase I hate when preachers say it, and they say we've got to unpack this, but guess what? We're going to unpack this. So this says that seasoned women are to be obedient, uh, are to be obedient to their own husbands. Now, I want to point out first, before you get started in the fun part, that it says to their own husbands. Okay? Now, what this means is there is no other man in the world that ever has authority over you other than your husband. That's right. It don't matter if they're in a church and they're the elder. It don't matter if they're in a church and they're the pastor. When it comes to your life and your, your spiritual life with God, no man has more authority in your life than your husband. I don't have more authority in your life spiritually than your husband does. Now, let me explain that. Now, I have an office of under-shepherd. I will go to hell if I don't teach you, right? And I'm not trying to go there, okay? That's why I'll talk about difficult things like I do, because I have to teach you, and I'm not going to hell because I was too sissified to teach you the tough stuff, okay? But I have that office as an under-shepherd, so I have more accountability in your life. But once I teach you, guess what? Guess who it's on then? It's on you after you learn it. Now, I will help you. Some things are difficult to figure out how to apply. Oh my gosh, I know that's correct. Some things take a while, right? So there are some things that when I teach people, I have to walk with them a little ways and check in every now and then and kind of nudge them a little bit in that direction, but pretty soon they get it and they're on their way to whatever the next thing is God wants them to acquire, okay? But when it comes to your life as an individual Christian, I don't have the authority to come and say, well, Lord, you shouldn't put up with that. Well, Lord, you should do this. I don't care what Travis said. I don't have that authority. First of all, I don't want the headache. Ain't none of my beeswax unless you ask me to help the both of you, okay? But I don't have the authority to come over and say, Stacy, listen, we're going to have to talk about this because, you know, don't tell them, though. <laughs> Let me help you. Anybody spiritual that talks to you about anything in your personal life and then tells you not to tell your spouse is not mm -hmm. spiritual. Right. Exactly. Now, there may be some things that you're going to have to figure out whether or not you need to share. That's on you, right? They don't know and I don't know. But anybody that ends a conversation with you personally and then says, don't tell your husband, get out of there. Mm -hmm. Or ask them, why not? Right. I tell my husband everything. Yeah. And what they need to say sometimes is, now look, when you, talk to, when you talk to Jimmy about this, you know him better than anybody else does, so you know how to approach all this, right? <laughs> you follow me? Now that makes sense. Yeah. But no ma'am, that's why it says your own husband. Not anybody else's, your own husband. Now, what does it mean exactly when it says that the seasoned women are to be obedient to their husband? That doesn't mean the husband comes in and starts barking orders. I've been some places, that's the way it was. That's a shame. That's not a relationship. That's a service. That's a servant and a master. That's not a relationship. That's some kind of business arrangement, a contractual arrangement. Uh -huh. When this says obedient, this word means subordinate spiritually. Now what subordinate spiritually means is, is it means that, remember how a minute ago when I said that just like God looks at the man when he looks at the spiritual condition of the house, this is right in that line. 
The way that women are obedient to their own husbands is they understand that spiritually they are subordinate to their husband. And what that means is they don't walk around and yes, I'm asking. That's not what that means. That don't mean that they just mindlessly do whatever their husband tells them. That's not what that means. What that means is they have an understanding that in the hierarchy of God, it is God first spiritually, of course, but then when it comes to accountability, it is the husband and then it is the wife. Now, it doesn't mean the wife is scot-free and the husband gets blamed for everything. No, no, no. What it does mean, though, is that when God looks at the house, when it comes judgment time or when it comes direction time, that God looks at the husband first. What being the head of the house really means is, if it ain't right, it's the husband's head that's going to roll. All of a sudden, it ain't something like, yeah, I'm the head of the house. Like, oh, man, I better watch my neck. It'll be my head. You follow me? So when it says to obey the husband, what it means is, it's like, okay, believe it or not, I have a very strong-willed wife. I, I tease her all the time. I mean, she's strong-willed, man. So you don't come to Kitty and say, all right, look, this is how we're doing this. Guess what? That'll be the last way that happens, even if it's right. Because Kitty's like, oh, no, 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 that ain't the way we do things around here. You might have been right, but guess what? You came the wrong way. Ain't going to happen now, okay? strong will. Thank God for that. Thank God we got strong-willed wives. Sometimes we wish we didn't, but we're thankful we do because we need them on our team. Thank God that our teammate is strong-willed because there's been some times where it's been the wife's strong will that has gotten us through a dark season when our will had given out. And men, whether we like to admit it or not, there are some things that come our way that wear us out. And there are times that down through the years where it's been Kitty that's come over to me and said, it's going to be all right. We're going to get through this. God's got our back. When I'm standing there feeling like this ain't ever going to be all right again, we're not going to get through this, and I have no idea where God is right now. And then my wife will come up and give me those positive words, and I draw from her strong will. That's the way a good team works. We're not threatened because our wife is strong-willed, but we better be smart and learn how to approach her. Amen. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so this subordinate spiritually, what it means is, it means that we don't dictate. But what it does mean is, is when we have a discussion, like me and Kitty have a discussion about some decision that we need to make in our life. First of all, there is no decision that God don't care about. Right. The scripture says, God said in the scripture, whatsoever things concerneth you, concerneth me. Amen. So in other words, if it affects you, I care about it. Right? So there's not any decision me and Kitty can make. You know, uh, we want to plan a trip to go somewhere. That seems like a decision that we can make on our own. And it is. But guess what? We ought to say, Lord, look, we would really like to make this trip on this week, on this month. Uh, but Lord, we need your protection. We need your guidance. If it's okay, if that's a good time for us to go, we want to go. Open the doors for it to happen. But God... If there's something that would happen at home while we're gone and you already know about it, or if there's something waiting down there that won't be good for us and you don't want us to go, just close the door. And as yeah. soon as that door is yeah. closed, we're out and we'll reschedule, right? Yeah. But see, now when we discuss that, we make that decision together. And if there ever comes a time where we have differences of opinions on how something is to be done, it, me, as the head that's going to roll, if I'm just sure and convinced that it needs to be done this way, and Kitty realizes that I am convinced that it needs to be done this way, and we're, I'm not going to change my mind, not because we've been arguing, having heated fellowship, but because we've been discussing this for a while, and I'm pretty solid in it, then what she will do is she'll say, well, okay, now... I guess by now you figured out that I don't agree with that. <laughs> and I don't think it's going to work. But you're the head of the house. It's your head that's on the platter with God. Right. We'll try it that way. Now, what's important to understand is once you make that decision, that means you fully get behind that decision you don't agree with. Right. And you do everything in your power to make it work. Right. Now, what I've seen out in the world, and I've seen in a lot of church couples is if the husband has a decision that's different than the one the wife has, and he says, no, we're going to do it this way, I really think it's going to work, the wife will say, okay, you're the head of the house, but then she won't help, she won't participate, she won't try her best to make it work, because secretly in her heart, she don't want it to work, that way when it blows up in his face, she can say, I told you so. Now, you might not believe that happens, I've witnessed it firsthand, but see, only way that happens is when two people forget that these two shall be 
Why? When two people forget that we're a team and what blesses me blesses you and what blesses you blesses me and what makes you look bad, guess what? That makes me look bad too. And what hurts your feelings because it blew up in your face, that should hurt my feelings too. And if it doesn't, there's something wrong with my love for you. Now on the flip side of that coin, this is good teaching. On the flip side of that coin, I need to be confident enough in my wife as my partner. And when we've got a few years together, we've been through some things. Oh. Now, if we have a decision we got to make, and there's been times where we've had differences of opinion, and I've thought about it, and we'll walk it off, chew on it some more, and I'm like, Lord, if this ain't right, you'll tell me. If there's a third way, give me that third way. Tell her a third way. But, you know, if it's her way, Lord, tell me. And there's been times where God didn't say nothing. And the reason God does that from time to time is because like you said last week, God gives us time to put into practice the lessons that we've been learning. So there's times where God won't give a clear answer because he wants to watch how we settle this. And there's been times where I've been like, okay, honey, you know what? I still believe that this is the way we should do it, but you are dead convinced and, and you got your heels dug in. So you know what? We'll try it your way. See, you have to have enough confidence in each other to be able to say, there's been more than one time where I was right and she was wrong. I didn't hear nobody. Yeah, that's a little better. <laughs> Jimmy is in the corner. That'd been a good time to say something out loud, Jimmy, in the corner and all. And the same way goes for the wife. There needs to be some times where the wife says, you know what, there's been more than once where I just didn't see that at all. And we did it his way, and I just knew that was going to be a disaster, and it wasn't. So there's got to be that mutual trust, right? And that comes from understanding that your spouse is not going to want to do it their way because they just have to have their way. And they want what's best for both of you. So this, this being obedient to their own husbands is subordinate spiritually. Now, <clears throat> worldly women think submission is weak, but the Bible teaches it's powerful. Right. Now, notice what this submission, again, it's not... He's the boss and I do whatever he tells me. No. What it means is, is that I understand the order of things. And I understand that I'm married to a husband that if he really thinks I'm right, he's going to listen to me. I've got that kind of a marriage. Right. So when it comes down to it, if my husband's dead set on something, then I'm going to go along with him and help the best I can because I am in submission. And you know, the word submission, best illustration of what that word means is, sub means below, Right? So in order for us to be in submission to God, yeah. our mission has to be below whatever God's mission for yeah. us is. That's true submission. Mm-hmm. So submission in marriage means, from the wife's point, from the husband's point of view, his mission is below whatever God's mission for his marriage is, and for his house is, and for his family is. And for the wife, her mission, her personal agenda, is below whatever God's mission for her family is. It means it comes second if God's is different, and is below whatever God's or the husband's mission for the family is. Right. And it's not weak; it's powerful. I'll prove it to you. Mm-hmm. Submission is a covering. Think of this. What's the husband's covering? Jesus. But he gets out of one covering and he's toast. The wife's covering? Jesus. Husband. So she's got two coverings. She's got the covering of a husband that's trying his best to follow after God and bless her and take care of her and nurture her and and defend her and, and get her with him to walk the right road to get to heaven, right? So she's got that covering. And then she's got the additional one of God himself over that one. It's a double covering when we're in the proper line of order. And here's the power of it. Uh, you don't have to go there. I'll read it to you. First Peter 3 and 1 says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. It's the same word. That word means to be subordinate, understanding the order. Be in subjection to your own husband. Listen to this. That if any of the husbands obey not the word, this obey not means disbelieve it. So we're talking about women that, that serve God and come to church and their husbands don't even believe in God. They don't believe in the church. They don't believe in Christianity. Listen to how powerful submission is. It says, you wives that have husbands that obey not, that don't believe the word, they also may be without the word, be one. That means they may never even go in to hear the preaching, but they can be one. They may never go to the church and receive the word, the preached word, but they can be one. 
What do you suppose it is that wins them? It ain't the wife that comes home and says, well, I don't know why it's taking you so long. It ain't the wife that comes home and says, well, you know, I'm glad you came on Mother's Day and Christmas, but you could, you could help a little more now. I'm so embarrassed today. It was Father's Day, and I was the only one without my husband there. No, that don't ever encourage a husband to get up and go to church on Sunday morning. It don't do it. Guess what it is that does it? You wives be in submission to your own husbands that any of them that believe not, or the other meaning of that is perversely disbelieve. In other words, they know and just ain't doing nothing about it. She got two kinds of husbands that ain't serving God. One that don't believe in God and one that knows God is real, but hey, I just checked out for a while. My wife goes, we're good. I'm not out there sinning. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not gambling. I'm not out drinking. I bring my paycheck home. I do everything I'm supposed to do. I'm good. According to the Bible, that's a husband that is in perverse disbelief because it's perverse to know there is a real living God and then just ignore him, right? right? So it says that the one thing that can win them, listen, that they may not be won by the word, but they may without the word be won by the conversation of the wife. That word conversation doesn't just mean the way the wife talks. That word conversation means behavior. It's anastrophe, and it means behavior. So it's in the same verse talking about being in submission to their own husbands. So what it's saying is, man, wife, you go to church on Sunday morning, you beg your wife 3,000 times to go to church and he won't go, and you get up and you go anyway, and you say goodbye to him with a good attitude, like the Bible teaches us to treat each other anyway, right? And then you come home from church, and instead of saying, I really wish you'd have been there today, you come home, and what do you want to do today? You want to go have lunch? You want to have a home-cooked meal? You want to go to the park? And you love them the way the Bible teaches a wife to love her husband? This Bible says that just by being in submission that that is so powerful that a man that ignores a God he knows is real cannot ignore the way you treat him. And you keep treating him good when he knows you're disappointing him. He already knows he's disappointing God. Don't you believe Spotify world? Don't you believe it for a minute that that husband that won't serve God with you don't know he's disappointing God. He knows he is. But what's going to eat at him is the knowledge that he's disappointing Almighty God and he knows he's disappointing you and yet you continue to treat him like a king. Mm -hmm. That's powerful, man. That means you're the greatest preacher your husband will ever have. Boy, that's good. I like that. I'll have to remember that news again some other day. But the way you treat your husband can be the thing that preaches to them when they don't go and hear a preacher over the pulpit. Don't tell me submission is weak. Submission is awesome. Okay. I'm going to give you just a couple more to go along with that, and we're done. There's some verses to back that up. Uh, Colossians 3 and 18 says, Wives, submit yourselves, again, same word, subordinate, unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. That word fit means proper. So what it means is that's, that's proper in God. So you don't do it because your husband's a king. You don't do it because your husband's a boss or he's the smartest dude ever walked the planet or walks on water, right? That's not why you do it. You do it because it's proper in God. That's pretty cool, man. So that means even if you do it and your husband don't even, he's not aware of it or he never lets you know he appreciates it, guess what? God's aware of it and God appreciates it. And it's proper in God. Again, notice the wording. It said, unto your own husbands. I'm driving that home tonight, ain't I? Unto your own husbands. Then again in Ephesians 5 and 22, exact same wording. Wives, submit yourself to who? Unto your own husbands. Then it adds this, as unto the Lord. Now, I know Sarah called Abraham Lord, but I mean, you know, they had a kid at 100, so things are a little different. Some of you will get that later, and some of you never will. It's okay. Uh, But it doesn't mean that you treat your husband like he's God. But what it means is you remember that when you treat your husband a certain kind of way, God is paying attention, and you might as well be treating him that way. That's how important it is to God, right? Now, you say, man, that's kind of tough. Why do we got it so hard? And the husband says, you know, uh, uh, how in the world am I... Check it out. That might be hard if you have a husband that don't love you. That might be hard if you have a husband that don't love you like the Bible teaches a husband to love his wife. But you know when it's easy to treat a husband that way? When the husband loves his wife like Ephesians 5 and 25 tells him to. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Man, when you got a husband who loves you like Jesus loved the church, Jesus died for the church. Right. Right. When you got a husband that you know would die for you, 
It's kind of easy to say, you know what? I'm going to treat that man good. huh? When you got a husband that you know because of your experience together and in your marriage, you have witnessed him die off to some stuff that he wanted because it wasn't what was best for you or wasn't what was best for your marriage. You've seen him die to himself and put you first time and time and time again when you know if it wasn't for you, he'd be out there doing this and out there doing that. And it's not awful stuff. It's just stuff that he really would enjoy. But because of you and how much he loves you, he says, you know what? Eh, I'm going to die to that. Because I love her like Jesus loved the church. And when you got a husband who loves her that way, well, I mean, good grief. Right. Who couldn't love a husband like that, right? right. I mean, I, I would think. And it says when he gave himself for it, that word means surrender, entrust, commit, give up, and give over. So when you got a husband that has surrendered himself to you, give up, <laughs> entrusted him, you understand? That's what real love is, entrusting. Man, that's saying, okay, I'm opening the doors all the way open and I am entrusting everything I am with you, all of it, every bit of it. Please be careful. The husband that commits himself to you gives up and gives over to you. It's easy. Er, I guess that's fair, huh? To be in submission to a husband like that. And then finally... Says the seasoned women are to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. And then it tells why. This is awesome. And we're going to end right here. So that the word of God be not blasphemed. Would never in a million years open your mouth and blaspheme the word of God. You would never open your mouth and say a bunch of nasty stuff about the holy word of God. So if this says that if the seasoned women behave this way, it'll keep the word of God from being blasphemed, then that also implies that if they don't behave this way, then it causes the word of God to be blasphemed. Uh -huh. Well, who is it it's referring to would be doing the blaspheming? Well, it starts with the people that won't line up to the word, but guess who does the most of it? The people out there. Mm. Well, if that's the way Jimmy and Stacy treat each other, why in the world am I going to church there? We already doing that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, if that's the way Arnold and Kitty talk all nasty and stuff, and running people down like that, why in the world are we going to go there? We're already doing that. Ain't no different than what I'm doing at all. That word of God must be nothing. Must not be no real God. Must not be no real church. So guess what they're doing? Blaspheming. And who calls them to do it? Well, you've probably never heard this taught like this before, and I'm sure you already can figure out why. This is some heavy scripture. But I'm going to end the same way I started and say that I could not be more pleased with the three seasoned women that are sitting at this table that are at the bridge to be the ones that will carry all of this and teach this to younger ones coming in because every one of you will. And you know how you will? Not under pressure. Right. Amen. You're just going to be who you are right now. You're going to love your husbands the way you do right now. You're going to love your kids the way you do right now. You're going to treat each other the way you do already. You already do all this. So this isn't something that I'm teaching tonight to say, get over there, girls. <laughs> no. This is something I'm teaching tonight that ought to encourage you because you can see yourself in there already. Ain't it awesome to see yourself in the Bible, Lori? My Travis? Ain't it awesome to see it? So many times we look in the Bible and we don't see ourselves. It makes us nervous. It makes us in self-condemnation and beat ourselves up. Well, praise God that all three of you tonight got to look in the Word of God and find yourself in it. So I'm kind of jealous of all the youngsters who are going to come in our church family and get to learn from you guys. They're going to get to learn from some excellent teachers. And I'm thankful for each one of you. I really am. Yes. Here's the thing that every one of us has got to do, both us husbands and the wives. We've got to make sure that we never feel like we've arrived. It's okay to feel like we've got some things down pat and we're good at it and we got it maintained. But every now and then, you know what? It's good to go back and do. It's good to go back and say, you know what? When's the last time I got her some flowers? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, she don't care about flour. Don't you believe that? I don't care what she says out her mouth. She might throw them flowers away tomorrow morning, but I guarantee you something went, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I'm going to stop right there before I get in the doghouse. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you tonight, Father, for Lori and Kitty and Stacy. What a privilege it is. Lord, this is the easiest under-shepherd job I have had in my entire career for you. Thank you. Whatever in the world I did that would cause you to reward me with sending these three women into the church family first, please tell me so I can do it again. Lord, send more Lori's, send more Kitty's, send more Stacy's. But you know what, Father? I'm asking you to send the Lori's, Kitty's, and Stacy's who don't know you yet. The ones that have that potential inside of them but have never had a teacher. They have never been shown any of these things. Lord, trust us with them. Because Father, you know already, God, that we can be trusted. That these women right here can be trusted to love people right into your kingdom and right into heaven when life on this earth is over. So I ask you now, Father, to reach into these tri-cities. Send the before Jesus lorries. Send the before Jesus kitties and the before Jesus Stacy. Send them to us, God. And when they come, Father, we'll love them, we'll care about them, we'll help them because that's what we do. So I ask you tonight, Father, to help each one of us, men and women alike, to remember that there is a way to behave and a way to expect each other to behave and a way to treat each other. And let us never forget that we are the loudest preacher anyone will ever hear by the way we live our lives. So I ask you now, God, to bless the Russells and the Wellses and the Rapiers. Bless all of our church family that's, that's heading this way this weekend, traveling from out of town and out of state. Lord, thank you for trusting us with them. Thank you, Lord, that there's something here that has impacted them. And Father, help us to never lose that. I ask you tonight, God, to do all these things for your glory. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Jesus. Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, God bless you. I don't know if it's raining or not. If it is, I'm in big trouble because the windows are down. But it got awful dark in a hurry. Oh, did it? <laughs>